there and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to have with us on the podcast, Jessica Harris, author of Beggar's Daughter. This is an insightful conversation as we get to sit down and learn from her, specifically in the area of women and pornography. She has the courage to write in her book uh, very openly about her her challenges with pornography and what she's learned and so it can be encouragement for others and so for parents I don't think this is probably a podcast that you want to listen to with your children at first I think it's some great conversations could come from it but probably this would be a podcast if you're in the car with your kids maybe you want to listen to first yourself and then you can have the discussions with your children after so just wanted to give you that heads up on that but very insightful as we talk about some of the signals, social signals that we send to girls and how that can impact them. Um, she shares about her, her family and um, as she struggled um, with pornography, some of the messages that she felt she received from them about this subject. Just very insightful. I appreciate her courage. I appreciate her insight. And uh, we have the honor of learning from her today on the podcast. I'll put the link to her book in the podcast if you would like to get her book um, there. Do want to encourage you to can continue to send in your questions for Back Channel with Foth. That's where we sit down with Dick Foth and get to learn from him. It's always a fun time. I take those questions, curate those questions, and then uh, put them together and um, try to make them match to a a subject matter of a podcast or somebody we're interviewing. And yeah, it's always just a fun time to sit down with Dick. And do also want to ask you if you would continue um, to subscribe to the podcast. I know the podcasts that I subscribe to are the ones I listen to. And if you can just hit subscribe, that way you get those um, when they come out well there's no time better than now to get started so here we go Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here today with a new friend, Jessica Harris. Jessica, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Jessica, could you just take a, a few minutes and share a, a little bit about yourself and uh, things you would like for the audience to know? Sure. Um, I am a mom of two. I'm a military wife in the U.S. and a, we, uh, my husband and I have two little girls. I got um, married at 32. He was okay. 34. Uh, so we <laughs> we did a lot of ministry in our single years before we we met each other and I got married just over just over three years ago. Um, and I have I grew up in the church yeah. and kind of wandered away from God for a little bit and then he very faithfully, uh, as he does, called called me back to himself and yeah. into his his love and his grace. And so it's a it's a privilege and an opportunity that I have to share about that love and that grace and how he has shown that in my life and how he wants to show it in other people's lives. Um, been able to write a couple books and actually have one coming out in January as well. Wow. So congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations for sure. Jessica, first question off the bat. Um, I read your book, um, Beggar's Daughter, and um, mm-hmm. it was very insightful for me. I learned um, a lot and it challenged me um, actually in, in several areas. Could you just share Beggar's Daughter, where the title comes from, and a little bit about the origin story of that? Certainly. So, um, like I said, I grew up in church and at the age of 13, I was exposed to pornography. This is uh, back in the age of of dial-up, <laughs> dial-up and floppy disks. Um, okay. I was researching for school and found a, a video. Um, when I clicked on the video, it was a, a porn video. And then it 
just started to initiate this pop-up cyclone almost and it's pop-up after pop-up after pop-up and it just drug me into this website that was full of of violent and hardcore pornographic content and um I think it was just I was just in an impressionable age and Mm -hmm. in a situation in life and so it was something that I began to be curious about and began to kind of explore and to watch more and by the time um, I had graduated from, or getting ready to graduate from high school. It was what I would call a full-on addiction. And when I went searching for help, um, there wasn't any. Mm. <laughs> uh, everything that I looked for was for men. Mm. Um, and so I began to think, oh my goodness, am I the only woman in the entire world who has yeah. found this? And what on earth do I do and what is wrong with me? And so it began this, almost this quest for hope and um, lots of questions about if there was something really screwed up in me and how did I end up in this stuff that only, only men are supposed to, you know, quote unquote, supposed Mm -hmm. to be watching. Mm -hmm. And, And so I looked for help for a while and then couldn't find any. Then I went off to college and actually got caught Mm -hmm. and I was told this we know this wasn't you like that. This couldn't have been you. Women just don't have this problem. And that spiraled me even more into like, God, you've like, I have messed up so much. (laughs) There is something so wrong with me that God, there's absolutely no way that you could love me. Like I want you to love me and I want to be loved by you, but there is no way that you could love me. Um, And beggar's daughter is basically that story. It's the story of, that struggle and feeling so isolated and so alone. And then eventually how I came to find freedom. Um, and it's like too long of a story to try to yeah, explain yeah. in a podcast, For but sure. somehow I ended up at Bible college um, the following year. I left the initial college I went to where I got caught and was told women can't have this problem. I left and I ended up at Bible college the following year. And there at Bible college, they said, some of you women in this room are struggling with pornography Hmm. and we want to help you. Hmm. And so they began this conversation of, Oh, I'm not alone. And because I'm not alone now, I know that I can find hope and I can find help. And so that began the process of freedom. Um, I graduated, it was a two year college, just like a Bible degree. So I, I, after two years I was done and I'm like, okay, God, now what? (laughs) Um, It was kind of like, well, you're going to share your story. And though absolutely not under no circumstances is that going to be a thing. So we're going to pick something else. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I wrestled that for a few years um, before I finally shared my story online. And I picked the title Beggar's Daughter because mm. that's the title of my blog. Um, because when I was trying to figure out what to call it, initially it was actually called purity after pornography. And that was just so abrasive. It's, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. such an in your face kind of, whoa. And yeah. I didn't, I didn't want that. I wanted something that spoke to the heart struggle more mm-hmm. and something that still like spoke to identity and spoke to beauty and spoke to the person as opposed to, the struggle that they were having. Um, And at the time that I was trying to find a title, a a woman that I used to mentor, um, she wrote a poem about a entitled beggar's daughter. And Mm -hmm. it was about a woman who was born 
into poverty, um, but every day looked up toward the the castle and dreamed of what life would be like as a princess. And the people around her scoffed at her and said, "You have you were born a beggar. You will die a beggar. Like almost like there is no hope for you." And I just felt like that captured the essence of that struggle of where I was like, man, I am so messed up. I am so stuck. And even though I want, I want God's love for me and I want that identity. I feel like I can't have it because I'm telling myself I can't have it. And then people around me, like in the church, the way we address these kinds of issues makes me feel like I can't have it. Mm. Um, But that's what I, that's what I long for. And that's what I dream of. And so that's where that, that name beggar's daughter came from. Yeah. Amazing story. Amazing story. You share um, one of the stories, you share a lot of stories throughout the book, um, but the one about that jumped off the page to me was uh, about your grandmother and um, discussing pornography and then, um, and your grandmother made a comment and um, about maybe one of those people. And, um, and then it just, you share about shame. Can you unpack that for us about families and how, if somebody would share or talk how we can uh, maybe open dialogue with our children or with our family members rather than close dialogue down. Is that, is that, is that yeah. a fair question, Jessica? I think, I think it absolutely is. I think it's always important to know, even in our families, you don't necessarily know someone's experience or understand their experience. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. My husband and I literally just had this conversation. Our daughters are are little right now. One's two and a half and one's about ready to turn one. Um, so they're tiny still, <laughs> yeah. but I looked at him the other day and I said, you know, this is so interesting because as much as they're going to grow up in the same home, um, they're going to have different experiences because they are different people. Uh, yeah. they're two little different people and already their personalities are, are very much in full display. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they're just going to, they are going to respond to, the world differently. Our oldest daughter is very emotional. She's very emotive um, and very sensitive and tender to being um, scolded as she responds very well to encouragement and things like that. And so we bring things with us through life that even in our, in our families, we have to be sensitive to, because just because they're your family doesn't mean you know everything about them. That is true. Um, And I think we have to keep that in mind when we're having these conversations and ask ourselves, okay, what if someone in my family is struggling with this? What if this person I'm talking to is struggling with this? Like, even if you're, you know, if you're sitting with a friend and you're going, oh, those people like ask yourself, what if my friend is one of those people? How is this conversation encouraging and edifying them and the Bible we're, we're encouraged. We're told to, to make our speech be edifying to the listener. And so is it, is the way I'm structuring this, I can still be honest about it and I can still be honest about the, the wrong or the evil, or I can still do that without Hmm. shaming someone who's listening to me who might struggle with that. And so I think even in our families, because I get emails from so many girls hmm. who are or teenage girls who grew up in a pastor's home. For instance, a, a lot of it is pastors, kids who say like, I feel like I can't talk to my parents about this because wow. 
all they're hearing is how wrong and evil it is. And, and yes, that's fine. Like we want to be honest about things that do not honor God. We want to be honest about that, but we also need to be honest about grace and how that's needed in our own lives and how even if we are in a position of ministry, we might still struggle (laughs) with things that are not honoring to God. And how does, how does God interact with that in our lives and how, how can we share that grace with the people who are listening? So even I would strongly encourage like parents, like just because you put all the computers in the right room, just because you monitor your kids, you know, social media or their cell phones or whatever, just because you're doing all the right things does not give you license to speak in ways that don't, don't communicate grace to them because not only could they struggle, but you're giving them a dialogue for how they talk to people around them as well. And so you're able to have a dialogue of grace in your home that says, yes, we are doing all of these things to try to protect you. But if you still are struggling with this, we're still here for you. And if it's not a struggle for them, you have at least given them a, a toolkit to be able to talk about that healthily with someone else too, if they have a friend who is struggling. But if you just go at it, and I love my grandmother. Right, for sure. <laughs> my grandmother is so sweet. Um, I actually named one of my children after her. So like, she is very precious to me. Yeah. I, I love her. She loves the Lord. Um, and she just is, was always like on fire for Jesus. She has yeah. um, dementia really badly now. So it's a different story now. But when I was younger, she just, she would weep when she thought about heaven. Like she just loves the Lord so much, but hmm. good night. You get her you get her wound up on certain things and she can just go at it. And I think we have to sometimes like temper our passion with an equal passion for grace and how God wants to redeem our stories too. And and we can give our family that dialogue to be able to take and, and carry out to our communities as well. That's a good word. Thank you for the encouragement. You shared, you shared about a, uh, maybe a, a young uh, lady that reaches out to you, but you, you also share about your story um, as a w- young woman that you felt that you were not supposed to talk about, think about, ask about, or dress in a way that made others think about, um, about sex or a provocative dress. Um, how did these social signals um, impact, how did they impact you? And then how, does, how did that interplay with, with pornography? Right. Um, so... I grew up in what I call the true love weights movement. Um, the purity, purity culture, quote unquote, was in full swing when I was in youth group. Um, so we were constantly hearing messages about this idea of purity and that purity was very much tied to your sex, like your sexual activity. Hmm. Um, but then also we don't talk like to the extent that we are not allowed to talk about sex. Like you shouldn't talk about sex. You shouldn't think about sex. Like we don't, we don't talk about this. And um, so that, that makes it difficult. Um, It introduces shame into, into sexual curiosity or or, our sex drives, which are God given and good. Right. Um, We need to have that conversation. We weren't having that conversation. (laughs) And then we, (laughs) when you have pornography, it it seems to step in and fill in a, a gap because it's not actually sex, right? And so if the whole point is I'm not having sex, then pornography seems to meet a need. It seems to say, well, at least you're not going to get pregnant. At least you're not going to get an STD. Here is something, a safe way for you to explore this. Mm. 
And the way the church does not talk about it introduces a shame that almost closes the door behind you. So like, if you are stepping into this experience because it looks like bright and shiny and looks like, okay, I think this is safe, right? This is safe. This is good. And I step into that and I realize, oh no, like this is not what I expected it to be. I don't know if this is safe anymore because the church isn't having healthy conversations. The door is essentially shut behind you Hmm. and you feel like, where do I go now? Now that I'm having questions, now that I don't know what to do about this. And the answer is you just keep going deeper into pornography because that's the only place that you feel like there are answers. You're either asking your friends, you're, you're asking pornography, the questions, you know, you're, you're asking the internet, you're asking social media because the door has been shut behind you. And so I think if we're having open and healthy dialogues about sex and about that, desire that we all have. And if we're having honest conversations about pornography, again, that are overshadowed with grace more than they're overshadowed with shame, then if I step into that, I'm able to step back out of it quickly. Mm -hmm. But if the door closes behind me and it's like, well, nope, you've crossed a line, you're done. Then I'm not as able to step back out of it. And I try to tell people all the time that shame is a driver a lot of times into pornography. Like Hmm. it drives you deeper into it. People think it'll motivate you out of it, but it doesn't. It just drives people deeper into it because it's almost like cuts off circulation in a way. And it just makes it, so it grows like this, this shame grows. I feel more gross about myself. So then out of that emotion, I, I drive even deeper into pornography. And then I feel even worse. And I get stuck in this shame cycle because there's, it seems like there's no way Hmm. out. And so Hmm. as a church, we, and families, Christian families, or um, even in our friendships, we just want to be a a place where the door is open. Um, And we're, we're saying like, it doesn't matter what you've done. Like you can come to me. We can talk about this. This is a safe place to be able to talk about those things. Do you think the church and maybe society in general, I don't know, but specifically the church, do you think there's more shame that we heap on females that maybe would be struggling with pornography than versus a male? Or do you think it's equal or, or maybe you can just speak as a female. Maybe you can't speak for males. I don't know. But just that thought just came to my mind as you were sharing. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. That's actually what I, it's, so I feel like we've been addressing men wrong the entire time that we've been addressing pornography with men. And that's made mm. it more complicated now that women are in the picture. Um, mm. Cause now we don't, we don't have a space for them in the storyline that we've created, but it doesn't mean that we've been addressing men correctly the entire time. So when pornography became a thing among Christian men, when it really started to soar like back with playboy and magazines right. and things like that, um, we developed a narrative in the church of like, well, of course men struggle with this. Men are visually wired. Like, yeah. obviously this is, and we almost unintentionally excused it and made it expected of, hmm. of men. Like, well, duh, men struggle with this, obviously. So hmm. I feel like men are trapped in this weird place of like, well, I don't really want to struggle with this, but like everybody's telling me I'm supposed to. And so like, like, what am I supposed to do with that? And men actually do. I've, I've um, worked alongside of, of men in this field and um, they share that there is a level of, of shame for men when they struggle. And I feel like it's usually tied, it seems to usually be tied to their position. So like hmm. a, a pastor might feel more shame for struggling because like he shouldn't, you know, right. and 
he should have somehow like, he should be one of the ones that doesn't, everyone else can, but he can't, you know, Um, or like, it seems like it's more tied to their position. Whereas women, I feel like their shame is just tied to the struggle and the silence in general. We're not talking about women who struggle with pornography. Hmm. And so women feel like they are alone coming into this they go they go into this struggle and because there's not a conversation around it because there really aren't a lot of resources for it they feel like i am the only woman in the world who's who struggle with this there's no one like me that piece is different because men i feel like a man can go online and he can google you know men struggling with pornography and he's going to find page upon page upon page of resources books workbooks yeah. support groups videos you know like he's going to find stuff for him. Yeah. But a woman is not going to find that. And so in that, in that essence, there's a, a compounding of shame for a woman because our dialogue has been, well, of course, men struggle with this and women do not so like not, we don't yeah. say that explicitly, but because of how much we've bent over backwards to explain why men struggle with it, we've excluded the mm-hmm. idea that women can struggle. Um, and so they see that and then they see no resources and they feel alone and isolated. And that's, yes, I feel like shame is compounded for those reasons. Yeah. Um, and it does make people, I've, I've spoken at pastor's conventions and I had one where a pastor came up to me and he just went, I don't understand. He says, I don't understand why, why would women struggle with this? He's like, I know why men would struggle with it, but I don't understand why women would. And I said, it's the same reason. Like, <laughs> like we struggle right. for the same reasons yeah. and that sometimes people just can't wrap their minds around, yeah. around the why of a woman struggling because of how we've framed it for men. Yeah. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, whether we're male mm-hmm. or female. And um, That's right. he is, he is, he is a, uh, equal equal opportunity destroyer and um right. so i i thank you um you know for your courage um to speak into the space and to share and i just wanted to stop just for a minute to thank you for the courage to write a book like this um to share to um encourage uh the conversation so that we can begin to have it so we can maybe remove some of the shame and move towards mm-hmm. grace and caring mm-hmm. And um, in the love of Christ. So um, I just want to stop and, and thank you for that. The, you shared in, or a little bit earlier on the idea that, that pornography is not sex. But then how, what is the impact? If it's not sex, how does, how does it impact us in a, a detrimental way? Right. So pornography, um, especially if we're using it for a, a method of learning about sex, is absolutely a, a horrible sex education teacher. Um, hmm. It is not it does not teach us realistic expectations and people will, will fight you all day long. Like, Oh, well, you know, obviously like, it's just like a movie, you know, obviously it's not like they'll, the industry itself, the pornography adult entertainment industry will say like, well, duh, it's not depicting the real thing. Like hmm. it's meant for entertainment and you can't explain that to a 13 year old. You can't explain that to a nine year old. Um, mm. Some studies show that the average age of exposure is actually nine. Wow. And I mean, think about how easily influenced nine year olds are and they don't necessarily understand. Oh, that's not real. Like they still have imaginary friends. <laughs> so, like, right. This is, we are allowing children to essentially be traumatized um, by exposure to pornography and then they're growing up in that space trying to make sense of how this is supposed to fit into 
their lives. And so I feel like whatever age you are, whether you're exposed at nine or exposed at 19 or 29 or whatever, um, it's presenting a very unrealistic expectation for your sexual experience. For Mm -hmm. men, they have found that a man, obviously most pornography is from a man's vantage point. And so Hmm. a man will, a man will, um, he will put himself into the perspective of the the man in the film. Whereas a woman who's watching pornography, she gets, it's conflicting for her because, Hmm. because it's from a man's point of view, she either identifies with the woman in the, in the film, Hmm. or she like has this weird thing of like, identifying with the viewpoint that she's in, which causes so many women who come to me to go, what on earth is wrong with me? Like, am I attracted to women? Like, am I really a man? Like what is going on? I don't understand what to do. Um, because it's, it's giving you a perspective, right? It's, it's trying to teach you a perspective and it's, it's triggering one of the strongest connectors that we have like this like the most intimate connector and drive that we really have which is like intimacy and connection with another person yeah. it's tapping into that and it's rewriting that it's rewiring that even if it's not you physically having sex with somebody else you are giving your mind and body messages hmm. that you're going to try to bring into a sexual experience and they're not going to match <laughs> hmm. they're not going to meet and so then it will seem like oh well my partner isn't able to sexually fulfill me because I'm not getting the same feelings. What you've really done is you've rewired your, you've kind of rewired your sex drive. Um, Mm. I was just researching for the book that's coming out in January. And one of the things that I read essentially said um, because of like how our brains are wired to seek out pleasure um, with the exposure to pornography and the consumption of pornography, we essentially rewrite our sex drive from being a desire for sex and sexual intimacy to being a desire for pornography. And so that's why you will see people, um, you'll see more recently, they've been talking about things like porn-induced erectile dysfunction, which is where um, a man will not be able to become aroused with a, a physical partner but only be able to become aroused with pornography. Like there, mm. we can rewire our minds and bodies to respond to a stimuli that's not realistic mm. um, by consuming pornography. And so that can have absolutely detrimental effects on our sex life. And we're not even talking about the violence of pornography and, and how that tr- like desensitizes us to sexual violence and trauma or the unrealistic bodies presented in pornography that would make women struggle with body image. And um, that's not the, the, the impact is endless. Yeah. Um, I feel there's so many different aspects that can then impact our lives. Yeah. You share in the book, um, your description of not wanting pornography, but a normal life. Can you just share a little bit about that struggle and maybe the internal, that was very valuable for me in the internal struggle that, that goes on with that, not wanting, not wanting it, but and wanting a normal life and the struggle that, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so I feel like in my journey, my struggle with pornography, um, at the beginning, it started very much as just like a curiosity 
And then it was kind of like a fun little thing that I did. And then it quickly, very quickly became something that I absolutely could not live without. Hmm. And then as I realized like this isn't healthy and wanted to try to move on, it was like, how do I shake this almost like, okay, I've made these mistakes. I've gotten trapped in this stuff. How do I get out of it? And then not only how do I get out of it, but how do I get beyond it? Um, Or am I stuck living the rest of my life with this kind of shadow over me? Um, I didn't want to be the person who um, needed to to go to pornography daily. Um, I share in the book that when I was a freshman in college, right out of high school, it consumed my life like dangerously. Um, I had a roommate. We had a shared desktop computer because this is back in 2003 when there (laughs) really weren't like small, tiny computers. Exactly. Um, And I would be searching pornography with her asleep in the bunk bed right behind me, like just depending on her to be asleep enough. And she slept with it. She had to buy a sleep mask because I was up on the computer um, Mm. watching pornography at a Christian college. So Mm. I would watch that until like late at night and wake up early in the morning and go do my my work study job at school, I had to vacuum the student center. And then I would come back, I would pass my roommate on the way to breakfast. Like I would make sure I saw her. And then I would go back to the room and I would sleep through my morning classes. So like, it was not, my life revolved around pornography. It didn't look like that to other people, like to other Mm. people, it looked like I was at school and studying to be a doctor, but my life revolved around pornography. And so you're constantly balancing this is the life I would love to have. I would love to be just studying to be a doctor. I would love to be a successful student and like go on and be this great person. But I'm also fighting this thing that I can't get rid of no matter how hard I try. I had resorted as a teenager to to self-harm as a way to try to like beat myself out of it almost Hmm. and couldn't find that. And so it's like, do I have to go through life constantly fighting this battle, like constantly balancing these two pieces? I just want a normal life. And I know that this is not normal. (laughs) It's not normal to be up um, watching pornography for hours at, at a time late at night, you know, skipping classes because I can't sleep. Like this is not normal. This is not what I want. I want, I want a normal life and even beyond finding freedom God, I don't want this to follow me everywhere. Like I want a normal life. I don't want to carry this shame with me or this label throughout my life. I just want a normal life. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. I appreciate it very, very much. Mm. You share that um, in the church, and this is another thought that really resonated with me and uh, something that is kind of rattled in my mind for um, probably the last month or two. Um, the idea that in a church where we, we like past tense stuff, the, the mm-hmm. idea that, you know, it, this is something I struggled with, but now I'm living in victory, but we seem to get uncomfortable with, um, with current struggles and, and current, um, challenges. And so it made me think of my life. Like, I, and I think I am, I'm, I'm okay to stand up or, or to talk to somebody, Hey, this is something I struggled with in the past, but the current ones, at least in the church, that's something I struggle with, with being open and transparent about. Can you share a little bit about that in your experience? Yeah, I think we just love a good, we love a good survivor story, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) We love Mm -hmm. a good, 
And that's with anything. We get so uncomfortable in the waiting, right? We Mm. get so uncomfortable with, we don't know how to respond to the couple who's waiting to be able to have a child. But man, if we don't like celebrate and hoop and holler and put the couple up on the stage that miraculously had a baby after, you know, 15 years of trying or the couple who adopted a an orphan out of nowhere. Like we celebrate these stories where we can go like, look at it. It's all nice and clean and wrapped up with a bow. And here's how God intervened. But man, if we don't struggle in that waiting, like where is God in this? And we wrestle with that in all aspects. I feel like in, in anything that's not where we haven't seen how God's showing up yet, there's this tension and this, almost uneasiness that we have in the church because that's that's the hard place hmm. right like we we like the easy places <laughs> we like we like where the fruit is yeah. like sweet and ripe and like yeah. there it is but we yeah. don't necessarily like all of the work of gardening yeah. that's uncomfortable that's messy there can be setbacks there can be fallbacks but that's that's the power of the story. Like that's the power of redemption. That's the power of grace. And like, if you look at the Bible, it's a bunch of stories of people who did not have it together. And I feel like if the church, like we love them because we know the end results of all of them, like Job, you know, we know what happened behind the scenes. Job has no idea, right? but we share that story because we know how it ends. Um, Even I was just researching like Moses and, when Moses was called, you know, he's like, no, God, I'm not going. Like, I'm not going back and I'm not freeing Israel from anybody. No, thank you. And send somebody else, he tells God. And um, like, we just don't, now we we share the story because look at it at the end, it's all happy and they get out, they go to the promised land and yay. And we write a VeggieTales movie about it. But like, <laughs> we don't like the the tension of waiting for redemption. We yeah. don't like that. We're uncomfortable in that place. We don't have answers. And I Hmm. think the church would do so well to remember that it's not our job Hmm. to have the answers. Like Hmm. we, we're not called to present a perfect buttoned up, wrapped up image. Like that's God is a, he came for the sick, right? Like he came for the people who needed redemption. And are we showing that that's who we are in the church? Like, are we showing that we are the people in need, constant need of, of God's grace? Not like it happened and poof, I'm done and I'm good. Like we are in constant need of God's grace, but I think there's a vulnerability that comes with being honest about the struggles that we're currently having. And it just creates this awkward tension in our church communities of, oh no, what do I do about that? Well, that's what God's for. (laughs) That's We are able to take those people who are in the middle of those hard stories and what an opportunity to walk alongside them and see God work in their lives. Like that's an amazing part. You get to be part of the miracle, but so often we just want to sit on the other end and just wait for the miracle to happen. Hmm. But that's like the spectator sport versus what we're called to be, which is the hands and feet of Jesus. And that's the hard work. And we're just not necessarily comfortable or good at seeking that out in the church. That's a good word. 
good word. I have two more questions for you, and I'll try to make them try to make them quick. Um, how could a, a, maybe a, a, a husband whose uh, spouse is struggling with pornography? What would advice would you have for him? Or maybe it's a team. A lot of people that listen into this podcast are serving on missional teams overseas, and there maybe there's a female. And a lot of our teams live like like a family. You know what I mean? And so, how mm-hmm. can maybe a spouse or somebody on a team? How can they care for? some uh, a lady that's struggling with pornography what what are some good good habits and good encouragements and some things maybe they would would not be um would be counterproductive if that makes sense yeah so i think um first off if she comes forward and she's the one who um admits that it's an issue for her that confession needs to be met with grace Hmm. And almost, I don't, I don't want to say with celebration, but when I shared my struggle, um, the people that responded, the woman who responded to me said, what you just shared was brave. For sure. And I, I feel like that almost like piggybacks on the last, the last question of like, it takes a lot for oh, somebody for sure. to share a current struggle that they are having, one that they haven't figured out the answer to one that they are still in the thick of, it takes a lot, I think, for anybody to Mm. open up about that. Um, And so I think that that needs to be, that confession needs to be met with grace. And this is harder, I think, in in marriages where we talk a lot about betrayal trauma and things like that. Um, I think a lot of of husbands are kind of knocked back on their heels when their wives come forward and say like, Hey, I struggle with pornography, you know? And he might be like, well, I worked so hard to get out of my trouble, like before I got married and then here you are. Um, so it can be very disappointing for a husband. And I've met or I've heard from wives who have said like, now he doesn't even want to talk to me, which obviously Mm -hmm. is not the response that we want. Um, it is okay to have a bit of a shocked response. I think, especially in a marriage, I, I think more, in a marriage where you might be going and going, Oh goodness, what have I, what, what are we walking into together as a couple now? Um, in a, in a team setting, again, I think it just needs to be met with grace and then a, an honest conversation of how, how can we help you? Um, what in any situation, like an accountability situation, what I always caution women to to do is not to throw all the responsibility on the people around them. It is not the job of your parents or your husband or your teammates to get you out of this. You still have to do the work. They can come alongside and support and encourage and help. Um, so I would encourage a teammate or a husband, you are there to be an instrument of God's grace and redemption in that woman's life. Um, the fight is ultimately hers um, and one that she has to fight like with God and has to walk through. You are able to help um, encourage her in that. And you are able to, if she asks you for accountability in things like by all means, be, be willing to do that. But um, definitely encourage her that it's, it's her battle and that you are there with her. However you can be. Please, as a like as a public service announcement, <laughs> don't just look at someone who's struggling with something like this and just tell them to stop. Well, just stop it. Like if you don't want to do it, just stop it already. Like, what's the big deal here? Like, right. why is this a problem? Um, this is a, a deeper issue almost always. 
um, it it has roots in, in trauma. It can be traumatic itself. It has roots in, um, neuroscience they're like if they have been in this long enough they are not just fighting pornography they are fighting their bodies like we talked about earlier their bodies yeah. drive toward it their body saying you have to have this this is not just as easy as like well we're not going to eat this anymore like it's it's a little bit it's a little more complicated pornography can man like it can just pop up in your mind when you're not even viewing it anymore. So you could smash their computer for them. You could take away their smartphone. You could do what you could lock them in a white padded room and they're still going to struggle with pornography if they're not dealing with the deeper heart issues. And so looking at them and saying like, just stop it isn't going to help. They've wanted to stop (laughs) for probably longer than they've told you. Um, I tell people all the time that if a woman has come to you and she has shared her story and she has shared her struggle, she is coming to you as almost a last resort, the, that the fear of where this is taking her has now become greater than the fear of you knowing. Hmm. And so she has taken the risk to say, I am so desperate. I am Hmm. so afraid of what's happening right now that I am inviting you into this. Like I am telling you what's going on. And in that moment, you have a, a chance to like, to respond in grace that will help almost grab her hand and start to pull her out. But if you do not, if you go, Oh, like we don't know what to do with that. It almost cuts the lifeline for her. And she will be very hesitant to ever tell anyone again, what she's struggling with. So that response in grace is what's so important. That initial response. I used to work at a pregnancy center and they would call it being unflappable Hmm. and where like I would have women sit across me and tell me that they were like sleeping with their uncles, you know, and you have to like kind of go, Oh, okay. You you can't, you can't freak out in that moment. And so just having that initial response of grace, because that initial response is enough for her to look at shame and go, you might just be a liar. And that's Hmm. what you, that's what you want. You want her to look at shame and go, pretty sure you're lying to me. And then she'll be able to start walking um, towards freedom. Yeah. One last question. Could you take a Mm -hmm. minute or two, if someone's uh, a lady's listening in and um, she's struggling, obviously your book offer, and we'll put the the link um, in the show notes for your book, because I think it offers a great, uh, well, phenomenal of hope and grace. But could you speak a few words of hope um, um, into a lady that's listening to this that might be struggling? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first, you're not alone. And um, I don't want you to try to convince yourself that you're alone. So many times what a woman will do is they'll write into me, well, well, I struggle with this kind of pornography. Like that, no, I, I actually am the only one. No, no, you're not. <laughs> um, and piggybacking on that, we take that same thought pattern and that same perspective into our walks with God. Like there's no way God could love me because I have done this. There's no way God could love me because I have gone this far. There's no way because I've messed up this much or I've tried this many times and I keep screwing up. I've been trying for this long and I keep falling. Um, God's love doesn't have like an expiration date on it. It doesn't have a a thing like that. And what we're, what we're doing is we're trying to almost push, we're pushing God away and then going like, see, he doesn't want anything to do with me when we're really the ones that are, are pushing away. And 
I say this in my, in the book that's coming out in January, um, stop trying to talk God out of loving you. Hmm. And I think that is, if I had any piece of counsel for a woman who's struggling with this before they're, they're worried about what their church says, or what their family thinks before any of that, they are convinced typically that God wants nothing to do with them. Wow. And they oftentimes won't read their Bible because they feel like hypocrites. They won't pray because they just, why? I, I had a woman write in, she goes, why would I pray? I already know what God wants me to do and I'm not doing it. So why, why even bother with that? Um, and so I just, I want to encourage a, a woman who is listening. You are not alone. There is absolutely a hope. If you are single, there is absolutely hope for a, a healthy and God-honoring and good marriage. There are absolutely amazing and godly men who understand God's grace and will champion that in your life. Um, your singleness or your infertility or your lack of a job, whatever, whatever struggles you might have are not a punishment for what you are doing. Um, and that I, I would encourage them to really just run to God and rest in his love and in his ability to love us, even as we are struggling and the promise that he gives us in, in first John, which is if we confess, he is faithful. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so all it takes is a, as a going to God and saying, I know this is wrong. I am struggling with this. Like, I need your help. And he, he is ready and waiting and wanting to forgive. He wants to love us. He does love us. And so stop trying to talk yourself, talk him out of loving you. Yeah, good word. Jessica, it's been an honor to spend some time with you and to learn from you. And um, would you pray for us? Will you pray whatever way you, you feel led to pray? Um, and oh, absolutely. And with that. Yeah. Um, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, so much for your body, um, for the community of believers that stretches around the globe, for your hands and feet that um, reach to all, all nations and all people. And God, we pray for the women who are listening. We pray for the men who are listening, who minister and help women. Um, God, I know that this struggle, this struggle with pornography is, is a global one. We have gotten emails from women around the world who share this struggle, some of them in very shame-based cultures um, where they would be at risk of losing their family, of being kicked out of their family if they were to, to share this struggle. And so, God, we pray for the light of your grace to, to reach into these communities, to reach into these hearts and these homes. God, we pray for a, a change in conversation. You are a God of, of love. You are a God who is, is quick to forgive um, and stands ready to welcome us into your family and to help us walk in righteousness and in freedom. So God, we pray that for the women who are listening, that they would reach out to your body, that they would find healthy communities where they can share this 
and begin to receive your grace. And we pray for the people who would be on the receiving end of that story, that they would receive it in a way that brings honor and glory to you and that they would be instruments of your grace in the lives of other people. And we do pray against the the wickedness and the evil and the destruction of pornography and how it destroys lives and hearts and families and ministries. And God, we we pray that you would set people free from this. Um, we pray specifically for the women who are listening. The, and I pray for parents even of, of young girls who are listening. I speak as a mom myself, that you would give us the wisdom to bring grace into our homes and to equip our families to have these kinds of hard conversations and to be willing to bring that light and that joy and that hope that you give us into these hard and dark places. It doesn't make the darkness any less dark. We can still talk about how dark it is, but God help us to bring light with us into those places. Help us to equip our children to have these conversations, to equip our friends to have these conversations um, in a way that brings honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.